0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. This has been a really exciting series to go through with a new neighbor. We've been discussing when God shows up, it's a big deal. And this morning we're going to learn about God tabernacling, God setting up his tabernacle with us. And you think about the new neighbor, you ever been around and seen this new lot, this new plot of land when they start excavating and they start working on it and you're like, I wonder what that new neighbor's house is going to look like. What we think is nice is something like this. This new neighbor built a 38 million dollar home. This pictured estate is located in Jupiter Island. A barrier island off of Florida's east coast. The property which sits on more than nine acres includes a three bedroom house measuring 8400 square feet. A guest house that has roughly 3000 square feet. Now get this, the beach house has two bedrooms, an office, and a kitchen. With a pool and a boat dock, the property has frontage on both the Atlantic Ocean and the intercoastal waterway. Now the former owner lived in Germany but wanted to spend his winters golfing. So he bought this property in Judiper in 1991. The square living room is built on a turntable. So it can rotate 360 degrees at a touch of a button. That way he could watch the sunrise over the ocean and watch the sunset over the intercoastal and not move. That's what we think is nice. $38 million home. This would be a crazy new neighbor to come in. But we're setting the context this morning once again. We studied where Jesus the Creator dwelled with His people and sought reconciliation. Jesus is the same God of of Colossians 1 and Genesis 1 through 3. Only by God dwelling with us can we go. We studied that last week in Exodus 33. And this morning we're going to look at how God sets up His tabernacle. Literally the tabernacle. And we've got to do a lot of back setting. We gotta set the context again this morning because we're gonna discuss all of the tabernacle this morning. So put on your, your running shoes. We're gonna cover this cool thing called the tabernacle. And we're going to start in Exodus 34. And as we go through this, I'll explain it to you. Then when we get to Exodus 40, you can, I will have you open up to there. But Exodus 34, this is where Moses went back up to get a second set of tablets. So he spent 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord proclaims to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God is still the creator. God is still the sovereign ruler. God says, I will not only forgive and restore, but I will exact the appropriate means when it comes to wrath for sins. Blessings will drip from generation to generation, but the consequences of sin will affect generation to generation. And Moses says to God with this information, will you please go with us? Will you please pardon us? And will you take us as your inheritance? And I love God's response to Moses. In Exodus 34, after he's seen everything God has done this for. And God says, by the way, Mo, you ain't seen nothing yet. My best is yet to come. Then God in Exodus 34 says, here's how you're going to have a relationship with me. Here's the means of having a relationship with me. The grace of the law is in exercised in meeting God on his terms and his conditions. There is, the law isn't there just to prove that you're a sinner. The law is there, and he gives this to Moses, set in the context. Here's how you have a relationship with me. Here's what you will need to go through to have a relationship with me. I am offering you grace by way of meeting you. After Moses gets this information, he's literally a changed man physically. After speaking with God and seeing with God, his countenance is actually shining so much they put a veil over his face. In Exodus 35, God starts off again with this little side note. Hey, keep the Sabbath or die. And they needed materials to build a tabernacle. So he says, get your ornaments. Ornaments are or get your jewelry. Get everything that you plunder from the Egyptians. I want those. So they go from build, using these ornaments, from building a golden calf, and God's getting ready to give them instructions. Here's what you're going to use that for next. And here's all these, and you got the raw materials, and you're going to need the skilled craftsmen to build this tabernacle. These skilled craftsmen are gifted in fabric, frames, poles, pillars, arcs, tables, lampstand, oil, incense, altar, utensils, pegs, finely worked garments, embroidery work, and needlework. That's a lot of different crafts, and you're going to need the contributing craftsmen. We're going to need the contributing raw materials, and we're going to need some contributing hearts. Everyone was willing in heart and brought their brooches, earrings, rings, armlets, gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn, goat's hair, tanned ram and goat skins, silver, bronze, and wood. The plunder of the Exodus. Remember, they got it from the Egyptians. They were slaves. Goes from individual assets of here's my treasures to my gift to God. And by the way, use it as you want. The armlets, the gold pieces, the gold earrings are not going to be gold earrings anymore. As we give our gifts to God, do we like to see our gift continued in the way in which we gave it? Do we give our 20 bucks and want to know where our 20 went? Or do we give chairs tables and want to know where our tables went? God says, hey, all of you, your plunders, bring them to me. All your ornaments, all your gold, your silver, your bronze, bring it. And I want you to collect it all together and we're going to reuse it. We're going to turn it into something else. So as they give, they also give up what it was. they also had contributing skilled women. These women were craftsmen, crafts ladies of exotic and expensive blue, purple, and scarlet yarns. There was contributing leaders. Leaders, I want you to bring unique stuff and I want you to bring exotic and precious gems for the breastplate. I want you to bring exotic spices. I want you to bring oils for the light and oils for the making of the anointed, anointing oil. And in verse 29, we see that everyone moved as their heart moved them. They brought everything for the work the Lord had commanded Moses. Everything was a free will offering. They converted their pleasure, their plunder, their treasures, all this loot to become raw materials, to build something for God and for the community. What I gave goes to the community. I no longer own it. When God says, bring your jewelry, bring all the assets that you plundered the Egyptians with, I now own it. Are you willing to give that up for what I'm going to use it for? I love this. Exodus 35, 30. God gifts the skilled craftsman. For all of you who work with your hands, God gives skills. There is very few times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scripture, where the Holy Spirit rests on people. And this is one of the times God says, hey, bring this guy. I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit so he can be gifted in skill, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship. I'm going to use him, I'm going to gift him with the ability to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze. I'm going to give to him to be able to create jewelry with gold, stones, and gems. For every skilled craft that it was going to take to build the tabernacle, God gifted the skill to do it. Not only was the gifts they gave the material, the raw materials, to God for God to then to use but the skills in which they were going to use that then to build with was God's gift bring these skilled craftsmen and by the way craftsmen once I skill you once I gift you with these skills I want you to teach other people to do it it's not all about you you might be really good at what you do And I'm going to gift you to do that, but I want you to equip others to do that. Does that sound familiar? I love the tabernacle and the way it's coming together. But I see so many times where I can stop and preach an entire sermon on what's happening here. The assets of personal individuals given to the body are gifted by God for God's use. And he also gifts the skills to be able to use them. God then fills the workers with skills. And in the end of this chapter, the contributions overflow. They actually had to say, That's enough. We got enough. We got enough. You, got, you don't need to bring any more. And once we get to the part this morning, we see the quantity of which we brought which they brought, you'll be astounded. So they need to make the tabernacles exterior. So they have 10 curtains with cherubim skillfully worked in. These 10 curtains are 42 foot by 6 foot. They're held by 100 gold rings. They got 11 curtains of goat's hair made in ram and goat skins. And these each are 45 foot by 6 foot. They got 48 frames of acacia wood. Acacia wood is this beautiful orange wood. But do they leave the wood original? No, they cover it with gold. So you get 48 frames of overlaid gold and 96 bases for each one of these that are made out of pure silver. Then they got 15 bars of acacia wood that's overlaid in gold, each with rings of gold that held the bars to the frame. Then they're going to build the veil out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim skillfully woven in and skillfully worked in. And each of these has four pillars of gold that are overlaid with gold, with gold hooks to connect the veil to the pillars. And each base of these pillars is made of pure silver. The screen for the entrance is made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with embroidered needlework. With five pillars of overlaid gold, with capitals and fillets of gold, with each base made of bronze. So they're going to make the ark. The ark is three and a three-quarter foot by two and a quarter foot. This ark is overlaid with pure gold inside and out. There's a molding around the ark that's made of of pure gold. There's four rings to carry the ark that's made out of what? Pure gold. They're going to make the mercy seat, this one on top of the ark, and it's the same dimensions. And it's made out of pure gold. There's two cherubim on top that their wings come toward one another. And both cherubim and the mercy seat, get this, are hammered gold out of a single piece of gold. This is some skilled craftsmanship. The quantity of gold that's going into this is massive. This isn't kitsch stuff you find at Walmart on... Blue light special for $2.99 after the Christmas season's over. So they're going to make the table. The table is three foot by a foot and a half by two and a quarter. This table is overlaid in Gold. gold. There's poles to carry the table, and it's overlaid in gold. You guys are catching on. Now all the accompanying utensils that go with the table, the plates, the dishes, the bowls, and the, materi- the bo- uh, flagons, the things they use to pour the liquid, guess what they're made out of? Pure gold. They're going to make the lampstand, and I wish I had time to show you tons of pictures of this. This is amazing. This is solid gold. The smithing that went into this lampstand is it came up and goes into six, into seven different lamps. It's all one piece of gold. And it weighed 75 pounds. 75 pounds. If you were going to buy that today, guess how much this lamp would have cost in today's dollars? 1.2 million dollars. This isn't your average tent, people. When you think of the tabernacle, it's got some pretty cool stuff in it. The lamp in it was 75 pounds of solid hammered gold, skillfully made. The altar of incense is a foot and a half by one foot, one foot and a quarter by three foot, overlaid in pure gold with two solid gold rings through which gold overlaid poles went through it for carrying the anointing oil. Not only was it pleasing to the eye, But the fragrance, God gave the gift to people to be able to make perfume, pleasant smelling oils. The burnt offering altar was seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by four and a half foot overlaid in pure bronze. All the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, the fire pans are made of solid bronze. The poles for carrying it are overlaid in bronze. Notice that everything in this tabernacle is made for portability. Because at the end this tabernacle isn't going to just stay in one spot. It needs to be moved. That's why you see these poles and rings to be able to move it. The making of the bronze basin. God's word says that the product, part of the products that came the gifts that came from making this is especially attributed to women from their mirrors. I'm not exactly sure what that is how that worked but every, this shows this was everybody donated everybody gave of something and the bronze basin part of what made up of that was the ladies who ministered at the tent of meeting at the entrance gave for that now the outer court walls these this is these outer court walls are 150 foot by 75 foot by 155 foot 150 foot by 75 all seven and a half foot tall now get this this is 3,375 feet of skilled artwork this isn't just a white tent this is a drab military tent that is a lot of square foot of needlework how many people did it take to do this I have no idea but it's amazing to think of this Now, this outer court walls were held by bronze pegs with 20 pillars and 20 bases of pure bronze. The fasteners that hold the curtain to the bars and the pillars were made of solid silver. The screen for the gate is 30 foot by 7 1⁄2 foot tall made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Something is incredibly rare and exotic in this time. The raw materials total for making the tabernacle Gold, and round figures, about 2,175 pounds. The silver, 7,500 pounds. Bronze, about 5,300 pounds. Where did it all come from? It was plundered from the Egyptians. It was gifts. A slave people gives this. What we buy by the ounce they built with by the time for a tent... Does anybody want to take a guess? I did my best work guesswork today to try to figure out how much the value of this is in modern dollars. Anybody want to dare to take a guess? By the way, I did a research and tried to find the most expensive tent. North Face makes one that's a little over five grand. That's expensive tent. The tabernacle is made of that quantity of raw materials just for the tabernacle cloth, just for the furnishing. We haven't even gotten to the priestly garments yet. Does anybody want to take a guess of how much this is? $38 million. What we think is nice is that house that sits on a turntable, you know, the turntable in the house so the guy could see both sunset and sunrise. $38 million, almost $39 million in today's dollars to make the tabernacle. This doesn't take into account the precious stones, the wood, the oil, and the fragrances. But we've got to get into the priestly garments. These are made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. The ephod, which is usually went from the torso garment that went from the body, from the thigh to the shoulder, normally without arms or legs. This is made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with gold leaf skillfully woven in skillfully designed in the shoulders on the shoulders there's black or onyx precious stone set in gold filigree the breastplate blue purple gold and scarlet yarn four rows of three precious gems set in gold and it had gold twisted chain that held the breastplate to the shoulders The robe, it's all blue. And it's on the hymn, it's alternating pomegranates and solid gold bells. The coat, the turban, and the undergarments are blue, purple, and scarlet yarn embroidered with fine needlework. The crown, solid gold that said, Holy to the Lord. And it's fastened to the turban by a blue cord. In Exodus 39... According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. The people, the once slaves, are now a rescued people, as saved people, have given their gifts, have used their own skills and gifts, and did what God had told them to do. They made pieces or components for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is yet to be constructed. They have come together and given of everything that they had, including their own skills, which are all a gift from God to make something for God. How would you describe this tabernacle? How would you describe its cost? Out of sight. Would you find this thing on used clearance at the army surplus store? When you came in this morning and somebody said, man, we're going to go see the tabernacle, would you have pictured a blue and scarlet with these, all these needlework all worked into it and all these incredible colors, all this gold, silver, and bronze all connecting it together? Or would you just think of, well, that's the tent that the Israelites used to move through the wilderness. How would you describe the colors How would you describe the manpower, the woman power, the skilled labor that it took to make this? You gotta look at you you give a piece of gold, then somebody has to put that in and make it into one big chunk, then you gotta hand that off to somebody to hammer it, and then out comes a 75-pound lampstand. Imagine the work that went into that. What other terms would you use to describe the tabernacle? I'm thinking elaborate, ornate, exotic, incredibly artistic. Stop for a second and recognize that God's gifts to God's people includes artists. Only in America do we go to a white walled building with a few openings for windows and say, we're going to God's house. Stained glass windows have nothing on the tabernacle. And you're a slave, people, that's going to move through the wilderness and meet God where he said to meet him. How would you describe this place? How would you describe the tabernacle now in your mind? What would it smell like? Perfumers, fragrance oils, the incense that was burnt? Now comes the time to put it all together. They don't know how to use this thing yet. The specific instructions on what to do inside the tabernacle is what the book of Leviticus is for. But the giving, the assembling of the components, doing the hard work is not done until we read the phrase that every parent hates on Christmas Eve, some assembly required. It's time to put this together. They've never done this before. They've never seen anything like this before. This will be a huge day in their history. Get this. They have a place to meet their God who just defeated every God of Egypt that says, here's a place to come. Here's a place to come and meet me. Has their history with God up until this point been stellar? Had they needed a place to meet God? Remember we went last week and God said... Oh well, I will go with you. Why was that such a huge deal? Because he said, you guys have sinned in making the golden calf, and you guys can go ahead and take the lamb, but I'm not going. We studied that all last weekend. God said, I will make my presence with you. And here's the place that God wants to make his presence known. So the time of first is yet once again upon the nation of Israel the first time to set up the tabernacle. So we'll move now into Exodus 40. All that introduction to say, they're gonna put this thing called the tabernacle together. And I wanted to bring it up to this crescendo because if we just said, hey, they're building the tabernacle, we might have these thoughts of terrible Marine Corps camps, outlet mall, Eddie Bauer on sale tents. The tabernacle is resplendent. It's amazing. And it was done by individuals, for individuals, individuals working in the community for God to be used as a community. So as you turn to page 64 in the story Bible, or open up into your own Bible to Exodus chapter 40, God's going to do some more talking. Pick up in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, "On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you you shall put in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it." You guys getting an idea of what these look like now? The veil, the table, so we pick up verse 4. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set it up with its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of tabernacle at the tent of meeting, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. God's saying, set it up when I tell you to, Moses. Imagine the excitement of everybody who's completed their work, the craftsmen. It's a day to put it up. It's a day to set it all up to see. Set it up on the first day of the first month. Imagine the excitement of seeing all the individual efforts of building, training other skilled craftsmen, of the sewing, of the engraving, of the hammering, of the fashioning, to all come together as one amazing structure. You might have been proud that you were a goldsmith who made a lampstand, but then to see it all put together. And at this time, they don't know where it all goes. So God says, you put it up, and you put it up where I tell you. Verse 9 through 11, God says, anoint the tabernacle. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may be holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering. And all, the, all its utensils and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also, also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron, who stop there, anoint it. This tabernacle isn't ready until it's spiritually ready. What makes this place holy? The contents, the gold, the silver, the gems. The incredible skillful work of the gold leaf worked into the high priest's garments. We tend to go shopping during this time of year and say that thing is sweet. Look at that. All the glitter, the gold, all the niceness of it. What does God consider the holiness of this? After you anoint it, get it spiritually ready, Moses. By the way, it's not your hard work that makes it holy. Another great example, it's not all about you. You might be really good at putting fragrances together. You might have been really incredibly good at the needlework. Transferring what your skill and your gift is for what God's called you to do in the local community isn't about you. It's on how then you use that in your community. God then makes that holy. Pick up with me in verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the tent of, entrance of the tent of meeting and you shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as a priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father and they may serve, that they may serve me as priest and their anointing shall admit them to perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Anoint the priest says God. Is the holiness of their work based upon the grandeur of where they were? Let me put it to you this way. If your service to God is because I just go to church on Sunday and I do that there and that is what's holy and that's what I give to God. Was the priest's job connected with the place as more as it was? If you want to, that priest needed to be made holy because of who he was serving, not where he was serving. And all the grandeur of the tabernacle, it's God who says, you are serving me. You're not doing a cool job in cool clothes in a cool place. Just because there's a wow-inspiring place doesn't mean that those who walk into it are spiritually ready to serve. Location is nothing, heart is everything. God saying, get the boys ready. The priest service was the service to God, first and foremost. And he's going to make this a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And if you studied Levi, Aaron, God's grace is all over this story. verse 16 through 33 basically god says do what i say moses i want you to set all this stuff up i want you to put it in there i want you to do what i say and there's two cool things that happen in there god says i want you to give me a burnt offering what is a burnt offering you bring your offering to this table for the the bronze table and you burn it all You guys, you want to give a tax-deductible donation to the church building, to the church, and so we take it and we burn the whole thing. We would think that's crazy. But the burnt offering is all to God, none for me. What I give to God, it all goes to Him. And the grain offering is, here God, this is what I have right at the moment that I can give to you. Here's what I have right now that I can give In Exodus 40, God shows up. After 441 verses about the tabernacle. And by the way, what we read this morning is a repeat of also what's already in Exodus. Chapters 25 through 31. Get this. All right, think for just a second. This is a, 441 verses is like 90% of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. What? What? God says the tabernacle is incredibly important. And I'm going to give you incredibly specific instructions about it. And I'm going to describe it to you. 400 and some verses specifically addressing the tabernacle. It's after those verses that God shows up. Look at verse... Thirty-four. Pick up with me in chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel was set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel through all their journeys. Verse 34, the cloud covers a tabernacle. God marks his spot. Here I am, and everybody can see it. If you're a nomadic tribe living in the wilderness at the time, the word of this grand tabernacle would have to spread. But before you could even get there, by night there was a pillar of fire. When God calls something distinct and holy, he puts a huge mark on it. When God shows up, he puts a huge mark on it. When he is there, you cannot help but go, "Woo! look at that. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. God literally moves in and yells, I'm here. And Moses can't come in there. The sheer holiness and glory harkens back to Exodus 33. Look at verses 36 through 38. God is literally dwelling with his people. His presence is obviously there. When God says, I will go with you, my presence I will make known. He has put an exclamation point on that. God is literally saying, not only will I be with you, but I'm taking the lead. Look at the incredible, exotic, colorful, artistic design in this dwelling place. This is not just a tent. This is the marvelous structure actually filled by God himself. God says, my presence will go with you. And he makes that loud and clear. In the face of recent events, the astounding truth is that beyond description of God's grace, mercy, and grandeur in this story. The people of Israel did not deserve God to dwell with them, to build this kind of cool place. And if there was ever a time that people would say, well, there's not hardly any grace in the Old Testament Hebrew Scripture, I would say, you're crazy. Look where God chose to dwell. Look with whom he chose to dwell. Look at the way in which he dwelt. Look at the mighty power in which he's there saying, boom, these are my people. If you're 100 miles away at night, you've got to be able to see a pillar of fire. And you've got to ask, what's all that about? What was God's commission to the people of Israel? You want to meet me, come and meet my people and they will introduce you to me. And once you come here to meet me, these are the rules and conditions of finding out who I am and how to make reconciliation with me. It wasn't that hard. There was a way of getting it done. You've got to be asking yourself, why in the world is he talking about the tabernacle so much when we're in the middle of a Christmas series? Move with me to John chapter 1. Page 735 in the Story Bible. We read some of this this morning in our scripture reading. One verse. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Stop there. And the word became flesh. God himself took on flesh. God became flesh. Literally lived. Literally was a baby. Literally was born. Literally in Bethlehem. He actually dwelled on the earth with people. Grace shown. I will dwell with him. Move your finger to the word Dwell. Do you see it? This is important this morning. Do you see the word dwell? John's making a play on words. He said he's tabernacling. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus tabernacled with us. He makes up a word. Why would he make this word up? Because in his mind he's thinking God dwelled with the Israelites and Jesus is coming again. And he's going to become a baby in tabernacle with his people. All we've studied this morning about the tabernacle leads us to this point this morning. Jesus dwelt with us. Jesus tabernacled with us. Jesus was on a mission. He wanted to be the living God who dwelt with his people. Just like the glory of Exodus 40, when God filled the tabernacle with glory. Where does Jesus illustrate this to James, John, and Peter? The Mount of Transfiguration. That's why we read that this morning. The tabernacle was beautiful, and it was ornate, and it was spectacular. But when God showed up, they got fire at night, and you got a cloud by day. And when God fills it, there's this amazing glory that Moses couldn't even go in. So when Peter gets to see this living tabernacle, this living Jesus, and God says, I'm going to give you barely a glimpse of my glory. There they are at the top of the mountain. Like light. And... God wants to dwell with us. He set up his tabernacle and said, I am going to send my only son to die for you, so I will live with you. This tabernacle vision, this tabernacle idea has sprung out of the rich texture of Exodus until John 1 to say, wow, how do we even get this idea that God dwells with us? He has sought us. He has looked for us. He has made reconciliation. And just like he did in the tabernacle for the Hebrews, here's the means of coming to know me and I will illustrate my grace. Jesus does the same thing. Here's the means of reconciling with me. Here's the the reason that I came so you and I can have a relationship. I will be the last sacrifice. So there will be no more if you believe in me. It is rich in texture. The living tabernacle becomes the sacrifice. It becomes the payment for your sin. And God the Father says that's paid in full. Have you ever thought about this morning that baby Jesus came on a mission to become the last sacrifice on the cross and it didn't hold him, death didn't hold him because he rose again. And by the way, we're going somewhere in this series. He promised to come back again. And guess what he wants to do for all eternity? Dwell with us. I will make all things new. This story goes from Genesis to Revelation. This story is rich with texture that says, Do you believe in the living tabernacle, The one who tabernacled with his people. The one who will eventually die. Be buried and raised again. So as you go into this week and you're thinking about the little porcelain Jesus that was unwrapped out of the attic and put down underneath the light. Is that the living tabernacle that you can picture all this rich imagery of what Moses went through when John said, and he dwelt with us. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be reconciled with you. And who's his means of giving out this information? If God was declaring himself to the world around by a pillar at night and fire, fire by night and pillar at daytime, what does he use as his trumpets to call for people to come to know him? It's you and I. Wow, God has done something in your life, and I want you to get to know about that. Do you know him? Do you follow him? Would the world know that there's a light shining because of what he is doing in your life? Share that this week. Go boldly into what the week has before you. For he tabernacled with us. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org.